following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Aaron and I were just talking this morning about how different Christmas is as a parent from when you're a kid. When you're a kid, there's so much anticipation and excitement. You don't know what the next day holds. You don't know what's going to happen when you wake up in the morning. You can't get to sleep at night. Like I have vivid memories of uh, all four of my brothers and I sleeping in one room upstairs in our house and just not really actually going to sleep uh, because we're just so excited about what the next day was going to hold. And as a parent, as an adult, really, uh, Christmas is still exciting, isn't it? There's still so much joy and so much anticipation. But as I thought about my anticipation last night, it was excited to see my kids open their presents, to see them get excited about what's happening. It's still very exciting, but it's a very different perspective that I take into Christmas morning as a parent than I did as a child. When it comes to Christmas, when it comes to this celebration of the birth of Jesus, there's only one reality of what occurred on the very first Christmas morning. It's that God came into this world, born of human flesh, to a virgin girl named Mary, born, come into this world to be the lamb of God, the sacrifice that could take away your sins and my sins. That is what happened Christmas morning. It's the one and only reality of the occurrence on the first Christmas morning. However, we all know that not everybody shares that perspective, right? We know there are many, many, many people who have a very different perspective of Christmas morning. Because we, the church, the believers, the family of God, we are not the only people who live in anticipation of Christmas. Christmas is a holiday full of cheer, and that's very obvious, very prevalent when you just walk out into the world. We've talked about this before. Go, go shopping this afternoon, and how many times will you be walking through a store and hear Joy to the World or Silent Night Sung? People who want nothing to do with Jesus will proclaim the name of Jesus at Christmas time. But their perspective is very different than ours. So, how is our perspective of Christmas so significant? Why is it so important? Why is our perspective so crucial to fully understanding and fully celebrating on Christmas morning? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Let's just talk this morning about a couple of different perspectives and see how they they differ from ours. And so we're going to start by going back to, to our roots. And first, we're going to talk about the Jewish perspective the Jewish perspective of Christmas. And to to understand this, we want to look again at, at Jeremiah chapter 23. And Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five and six, gives us a very important uh, passage for someone who is, who is uh, of Jewish descent, who follows the Jewish law. 
It says in verse five of Jeremiah 23, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will, ri- I will raise up a branch, a righteous branch of David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. That is the name that he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Okay, to understand the Jewish perspective, we have to understand what this, these two verses are talking about. They're talking about the promised Messiah, right? The Messiah, and we know that's Jesus. But what's the, the, the Jewish audience looking for when they read this? Well, they are looking for, again, the Messiah, which means the anointed one or the chosen one. In, in simplest terms, the Jewish audience that hears this looked for the Messiah to be a man, not God incarnate, not divine in any way, shape, or form, but a man who would bring political and influential restoration to the nation of Israel. Right? Every Jewish person who talks about the Messiah is talking about a human man looking to bring Israel back to power and strength. In fact, Jewish scholars even claim that every single generation of mankind has someone in it who could potentially be the Messiah. And they would say, if God's time for the restoration of Israel has come, then that person will rise up. Why? Because it's not God incarnate. It's not a divine person. It's just somebody within that generation who will have the ability, the strength, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge, the craftiness, the whatever, fill in the blank, who can bring Israel back to power. And there are are many resulting ideas from this perspective. But what it really boils down to is that from the Jewish perspective, when the Messiah finally comes, which that has not yet come, the Jewish audience, the Jewish perspective says the Messiah has not yet come. But when he does, he will bring political power and national restoration to the nation of Israel. And as a result, the Jews don't see Jesus, the one born to Mary, Jesus of Nazareth, they don't see him as the Messiah. He's not the anointed one. In fact, they would argue that if he was supposed to be the Messiah, then God failed. Because Jesus came, lived, died. They don't believe he rose. But he came, he lived, he died. And Israel was not set free. Israel was not restored to a national power. And so if Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, then God failed. See, their whole perspective is rooted in their nationality, in their political views. And that caused them to miss the greater reality of what Jesus did and what Jesus was doing in that day. They missed the greater reality of Jesus' salvific work. So for the, from the Jewish perspective, Christmas Day is just a day like any other. It carries no hope. It carries no joy. It carries no celebration of God's redemptive plan. 
of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We carry many of the same views as the Jewish audience when we go back to the beginning of the Old Testament, right? But as we get to talking about the Messiah, who he would be, who he is, we split off. Because from the Jewish perspective, they've missed that the Messiah has come. They've missed the truth, the joy, and the beauty of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came and took on human flesh. So that's our Jewish perspective. And you see the problem there of of not seeing Jesus being born as the Messiah. Okay, well, what about, we could talk about every other religion on the face of the earth this morning. And if you guys want to stick around here till like 5.30 tonight, um, we can just get started and we'll roll all the way through. But we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you. But we could talk about how other religions and other perspectives come into play. We could talk about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We could talk about the Islamic view. We could talk about Buddhism. We could talk about every philosophy under the sun and how their view of the Messiah differs from ours, how their understanding of Christmas differs from ours. But we don't have time to look at all of those. So instead, we're going to simply lump them all together. And and you, you might say, well, this is overly simplistic. Yes, I know. You can take all the time you want this week to dive into each one of these. But let's put them all together and just talk about those who either outright or functionally deny what God's word is talking about when he talks about Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one who was born that first Christmas day. To do that, we're going to talk about the worldly perspective, the worldly perspective. Now, usually when we do a point like this and we have you fill in the blank, there's a scripture passage that goes along with it. But if we're going to talk about the worldly perspective, there's not really a scripture passage to go to because the world doesn't believe in the scriptures, right? There's no way to really pull exactly what they're thinking. The reality is they reject God and they reject Jesus as the Messiah. They don't believe in the truth of scripture. When we look at the worldly view of Christmas, we see that some people might look at scripture as some helpful guide for your life. It might give you some nice things to do, some ways to be a better person, but it's not authoritative, right? Because it was written so long ago, it can't keep up with our modern day thoughts. We're way too smart today. The Bible was just, it was good for those people back then, but we've gotten so much smarter and so much more enlightened and so much better that it can't keep up. Some will view it as a helpful guy, but not authoritative. Some will see it maybe as something that used to be God's word, but it's been corrupted, right? Yeah, God was powerful enough to speak his word through human authors and give us what he meant to say, but over time, God was not capable of continuing to take care of his word. And so now what we have isn't really God's word. It's some corrupted, twisted thing that people have just changed over the years. So it no longer holds any power. And many will see the Bible, will see the scripture, not even as once being God's word, but it's just some writing of fantasy or mythology meant to keep people in line. It was written by people of power who said, here's how we can keep everybody else following along with us. But regardless of how people see the scripture, engage with the scripture, for those who reject God's biblical authority, Christmas is still a good time, right? 
We all know people who say, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't believe in that Bible stuff you talk about, but they still like Christmas because Christmas is still a time to to give gifts, to receive gifts. It's a day or two off of work. It's a chance to, to have a party, get together with friends or family. For, for depending on how they view uh, scripture, they might even say, well, it's a time to celebrate a, a good teacher or a human prophet who was born into this world a couple thousand years ago and did some good things. For people such as this, there is a momentary happiness and a momentary relief in Christmas Day. It's an escape from the realities of everyday life, from the meaninglessness, the purposelessness, and all the philosophies of this world that have enslaved them for 364 days. But this one day, we get to just kind of push everything aside and take a breath. But again, even in that, the celebration of Christmas is totally devoid of any real hope any peace, any lasting joy. And it has to be, because even if that's your celebration and escape from the reality of everyday life, your happiness, your hope for something better is completely rooted in yourself still. It's still a thing of, yeah, Christmas is a good day to stop, to slow down, to get out of the rat race of the normal week. But still, if I'm going to have a joy or hope or peace, I've got to do better. I've got to do more. I've got to get what I want. It all has to go according to my plan. It is completely and utterly self-centered and built upon the self. And listen, if you haven't figured this out yet in life, when you build your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your schemes on yourself, it will fail. It will let you down and you will be miserable sooner or later. I promise you. I don't say that to be mean, it's just reality. Because none of us are good enough to make everything work out and be great and be perfect if we just do it well enough. From the worldly perspective, Christmas is a short escape. But from the worldly perspective, even a celebration of Christmas continues to leave us enslaved, enslaved to ourselves enslaved to our views, enslaved to sin and death and misery and a few short years of life on this earth. The Jewish perspective allows a national identity to taint their understanding of Christmas. The world allows their personal identity to taint their understanding of Christmas. Well, so let's go into this now. Okay, so what about the Christian perspective? What should our perspective be? We're gonna look at Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, one of the great, great Christmas passages. And I still feel like some year leading into Christmas, we're gonna take like three months and teach these verses because there's so much to pull out of this passage. But today I just wanna read through this and and I want to make a couple of key notes as we go along the way. Because in these verses, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, we're going to see four aspects of Jesus 
Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the ruling, reigning king of all of creation that should change our perspective and give us hope and joy and peace and celebration as we look at Christmas morning. So we're going to start in verse 2. And the the first key we're going to see here about Jesus is that Jesus is the light. Verse 2, Isaiah chapter 9. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Right? We could talk about this and go into the Israelites in in exile and, and what they're going through at this moment. And that's great. That gives us some historical perspective, but let's just be purely applicable of this this morning. Do we live in a bright, light-filled culture and generation on this earth? If you say yes, you're seeing some different things than I am. We live in a dark, depraved, wicked world. We are surrounded by the rejection of God's law, of God's goodness, of God's love, his grace, his mercy, the call to love and forgive, right? We live in darkness. The fact that Jesus came to be a light in the darkness is important not just for some exiled Jews in the time of Isaiah. It's important to you and me today. We see Jesus as the light who shows us the way not just to live in this life to the fullness of what God intends for us, but to live in the fullness of who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. To be people of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Jesus is the light. Isaiah says when the Messiah comes, he will be the light in the darkness. We go on to verse three and it talks about how Jesus is the joy Verse three says, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. People have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Now, when it says you here, Isaiah is saying God the Father. God the Father has enlarged the nation and increased its joy. And you see in this verse four times where joy, rejoice, Right? You bring joy. The people rejoice. Right? When we follow the Lord, when we see Jesus as the light, when we follow him, when we seek to be him, reflect him, there is joy. Not a momentary happiness of I got what I want right now, but it's all going to go wrong tomorrow. But a joy in the fact that we know the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, and so whatever goes wrong for me in this life, whatever doesn't go my way, whatever I, whenever I don't get exactly what I want, that's okay. Because I have an eternity of celebrating in the presence of my God because of what the Messiah, the light, has done. So Jesus is the light. He is the joy. Verse 4 and 5 shows us that Jesus is the rest. The rest. Verse 4 and 5 says, You have shattered their oppressive yoke. And the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their, impress- their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And God says, through the Messiah, there will be rest. 
He says, I know you've gone through some stuff. And once again, he's speaking to the Israelites, but I think we can all feel what he's saying here, right? I know you've been through some stuff. I know you have suffered. I know you have hurt. I know you've been through loss. I know you have seen injustice. I know things don't go right for you. I know there is struggle. I know there is oppression. I know people are mean to you. People don't listen to you. I know you have been rejected and abused and cast aside. I know all this, but he says with the Messiah, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, all of that gets cast aside. And, 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 and you've heard me say this many times. I don't say those kind of things to say, you, don't, you know, whatever you suffer, it's no big deal. Get over it. No. I know the hurt. I know the pain and the struggle that some of you have been through. And that is a terrible reality to suffer in this life. But in Christ, there's rest and peace from that pain, from that struggle, from that battle that you can't seem to win, know that he has already won it. He will cast all that into the fire and burn it as fuel. In Jesus, there's rest. Verse six and seven, so this Jesus as the rule, the reign of Jesus Verse six and seven says, for the child will be born for us, a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. You hear it? The Messiah, what's he going to do? He's going to bring a reign, not just for a time, right? And think about this. The most powerful kingdoms and nations and, and powers and authorities that have ever existed in all of humanity all last 250 years at the most, give or take. Seems like a long time when we think about the Roman Empire. Lasted about 250 years. Seems like a long time when we think about the great United States of America. We've been around for about 250 years. Those kingdoms, <laughs> they are a speck in light of eternity. And the Messiah, Jesus, comes to secure a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. As we said over the past few weeks, our celebration of the coming Christmas is not a hope for political revival or moral superiority or for a respite from the fatigue brought about by the darkness of the current culture. It's not a pursuit of enlightenment or self-actualization. It's not a pathway to some higher spiritual plane. Our celebration is those who look at this passage in Isaiah and say the Messiah, Jesus has come and he has done everything he said he was going to do. Our celebration then is one of hope in light of heaven. The joy of redemption, the peace of spiritual rest, and the relief of serving a good and loving king whose victory is not only secured but has already been won. That's an incredible hope to take into a view of Christmas, isn't it? 
I don't watch Hallmark movies. I don't enjoy them. Uh, I don't, we'll just leave it at that. In fact, if there's one, if I, if I walk in the room and there's like a Hallmark movie on or something, it will be met by a heavy eye roll from me. But here's the thing. Some of you love it and I totally get it. Right? If you're one of those people, you're like, yeah, but I love Hallmark movies. Hey, more power to you. Cause I get it. Like I understand why you love those movies because in those movies, there's so much darkness and depravity and fear and evil in our world. And that comes out of your TV. I get why it's nice to sit down and watch something that is at least somewhat relatively wholesome, that you have no fear will turn ugly and sad and depressing. And the end is predictable and secure. That's a nice feeling. I get it. And that's why, that's why, our perspective, our understanding of who Jesus is, is so important. Because when we understand who Jesus is, what he did, and what he continues to do, then the end is predictable and secure. There is a peace and a hope and a joy that comes with us knowing exactly what's going to happen. Through the birth of Jesus, the entire story of Scripture is revealed, it is known, it is predicted, and it is secured. Because in that birth of Jesus, we understand the great and awesome love of our God and Creator. We realize that while He created everything perfectly, we are the ones who messed it up, we are the ones who sin. It is our sin that destroyed the perfection of God's creation. And even though we messed up the perfection of his creation, he continued to love us and pursue us. As we read through the Old Testament page after page after page, we see God loving his children, Israel, and saying, listen, I love you, and all I want is for you to come back to me. All I want is for you to recognize and know that I am your God. And they're like, that's great. Can you get us out of trouble? And God says, sure. And they go, thanks. Now we'll do our own thing because we can do this better. Over and over and over again, God welcomes them back into his arms, loves them until the time came to completion. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who willingly left the throne of heaven to take on human flesh, being born to a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Not looking anything like what the Jewish world expected him to look like. So that he could live a perfect life, the perfect sinless life, the only one who is ever worthy of God's love. All so that he could receive the reward of being nailed to a cross to bleed and suffer and die to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. To pay the penalty that we deserved. All so that he could be laid in a tomb so that three days later he could rise victoriously 
having conquered sin with his death and having conquered death with his resurrection so that he could ascend to the right hand of the Father where he sits as our advocate. That means that if our faith, if our trust, if our hope, if our joy is in Jesus Christ, then we don't have to worry if at the end of this life we've done enough good stuff to outweigh our bad because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. And when we stand before God in judgment, and again, make no mistake, every single one of us in this room will stand before the Lord in judgment. The question is who will be judged? Will it be my life or will it be Christ's? Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus continues to do, as the light, as the joy, as the peace, rest, and sovereign ruler. Our eternity is secured by trusting in him. As we prepare over the next whatever you have to prepare for for your Christmas gatherings, whether it's another hour or whether it's another week and a half, whatever it is, as we prepare for our Christmas celebrations, may our hearts and minds remain focused on the true meaning of that first Christmas morning, on the birth of the Messiah who came to save the lost, which included you and me. And in that, may our anticipation for the birth of the Messiah and the return of our King be greater and stronger and more gratefully filled with joy, hope, and peace than the world around us could ever think is even possible. And in that celebration, may we rejoice in God's love, grace, and mercy poured out into human flesh in the child in the manger, the King who would give his life as a ransom for our lives and in his infinite wisdom and grace send his Holy Spirit to indwell, to lead, to guide, to equip, uh, to equip us to live in anticipation of his glorious return. And may we let his light shine brightly in us, through us, and around us in our response to his great and awesome reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we, your children, get to gather together and worship your great and awesome name. To sing praises and gratitude for the birth of your son to celebrate Christmas, not as a time to give gifts, to receive gifts, to get away from everything else in life, but Lord, as the reminder of how incredible you are, how amazing your grace and your mercy have been. And this Christmas, may we reflect on the light, the light that came into the darkness, that shined the great light, that we would no longer walk in darkness, but walk in the truth and hope of salvation in the one and only name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you.
We thank you. And we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.